Well, welcome everyone. It's nice to see you all. Um, this week I ha met a lovely guy called Joe from the Bay Food Bank, um, which is a brilliant food bank in North Tyneside. And um, we were sitting down because we've been doing the pop-up pantries and the biker pantry and and the amount of food that we're, we're, we're kind of giving out or well, kind of, kind of helping people to get hold of as just being growing as it is for them as well. And so we're like trying to just have a little bit of a thought of how can we support each other to get more food in to kind of support more people. So we, we sat down and had a good chat. And, um, and he was telling me in the last 18 months, um, they've gone from having to purchase between 1,500 and 2,000 pounds of food a month to 25,000 pounds of food every month to provide for all the food banks. And he said that's for all the kind of food parcels. And that's twofold. It's, um, some of it is um, just that the food donations have dried up. There's not so much donations or not as much surplus food around now. Um, there's, and so, so there's, there's less food coming in. And the other thing is there's just a greater need because of the cost of living crisis. And so he was saying, you know, um, God has provided in an amazing way. They've been able to build up some reserves during the, the pandemic, but actually now it, it, it was, it's just really kind of challenging. So I was like, well, how on earth are you coping? How have you gone from that amount of money 18 months ago to 25,000 pounds? And he just said, well, it's just through the generosity of lots of people. Lots of people are just given a little bit, and that means we've got enough to be able to buy the food. It was just amazing. Um, during the pandemic, um, we partnered with um, Newcastle City Council, City Church, Heaton Baptist and others to provide same-day food parcels um, to people who were isolating due to COVID and didn't have the funds to maybe do a kind of a delivery to their door. And um, I would remember we we'd kind of were chatting to other churches and they were sharing the story of what was going on. And just out of the blue, we got a gift of £10,000 from somebody we didn't know, didn't come to this church, had heard on the grapevine what we were doing. He was a Christian guy, heard on the grapevine what we were doing and wanted just to support. Just incredible generosity. And we've always been blown away here. You know, this building is a result of the generosity of the people in this church, you know. And, um, and Mar Marley Hill, you know, all of the stuff that's gone on, the ability to be able to run that space is due to the generosity of, of this church. And, and it is just incredible what we've been able to do, even the size we are, you know, just to bless this city due to the generosity of the people in this church. You know, often we think generosity, and we think of finances, and, and I'm going to talk mostly about money today, but generosity is so much more than money. How many of us are absolutely blessed that Ajoa doesn't keep her voice to herself? You know, how blessed are we that she gives it to us in worship and helps us to lead us in worship? You know, I watched DIY SOS this week. Um, I'm a bit of a sucker for DIY SOS, and um, it was in Northern Ireland, and, um, sorry. <laughs> but it was lovely, actually. I was. The, um, in the first 24 hours, 900 people offered to support that big build in Northern Ireland. They said it was the most it ever had. Incredible. Incredible generosity of time and energy. Um, at the start of the Ukraine war, you know, we had that massive influx of Ukrainian refugees, and people opened up their homes to welcome the refugees in. Incredible generosity, giving away of their space. 
You know, we say when you're part of Life in Yard Church that we invite you to give of your time, your energy, and your money to the ministry and the family that is Life in Yard Church. We are a family. And just like we read in Acts 2, we want one of the hallmarks of this church, of, of any of Jesus' church, local churches, to be generosity. It says this in Acts 2. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. It was a hallmark. Generosity was a hallmark of the early church. So how did they do this? How did the early church kind of provide for each other? Well, they sold fields. <laughs> they sold property. They, they sold things of value, and they just kind of gave it to each other so that they had nobody had need. You know, because back in those days, there wasn't the safety net of the welfare state. You know, we didn't have benefits and all of those things. The church was the benefits. The church was the welfare state for their brothers and sisters in the early church. Jesus was blown away by the generosity of a widow who gave two copper coins to the temple treasury. Now, the temple treasury was, is kind of similar to what we say when we invite you to give, like Joe just did, to give to the ministry and the family that is, is the church. For them, it was given to the temple treasury. And, um, and so this lady came up with two copper coins. And this is what happens. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two small copper coins worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow gave, has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You know, this story shows us that generosity is not about the amount, but about the sacrifice. It is a state of the heart, and not just for those that have, but also um, for those that haven't. But trust in God, who trust in Jesus. This widow had built a life of inner generosity and worship. So, I suppose my question for today is, how do we cultivate inner generosity so I want to kind of start with the end in mind. Um, I believe the concept of tithing is really important. Not because we're under the covenantal law, you know, how, however God did choose 10% for a reason, for a purpose. So what was the purpose of kind of picking a percentage? You know, why did God kind of challenge um, the Jewish nation to tithe? What was it all about? Was it because that's what they needed to run the temple and all of the ministries that the temple kind of ran back then I don't know um, well in kind of yes I suppose it was um, but however God made manna fall from heaven um, he multiplied the bread and fish so he could feed 5,000 people you know he didn't need the tithes and offerings you know God wasn't like running a bit low in his bank account and thought, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go to the people and I'm going to get them to just build my bank account up. That's not what he needed. So it wasn't for the purpose of providing for God. It was for a different purpose. So what was that purpose? Well, I think the reality is most of us probably find tithing, giving away 10% of our income, even our net income, as a sacrificial act, a real challenge. And it really does require us to trust God with our finances. 
and please hear me on this, I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that, that tithing is like a legal thing, you know, we're still under the law, we're not under the law. But what I think it is, is I think it's a discipleship thing. And I think in a large part, it's always been a discipleship thing. It's always been God helping us to trust him more. Jesus expanded on this, on the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy or where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot serve both God and money. I think this is what God has always been trying to do. Always been trying to help break that service of money and help us to worship God. Early in this sermon that, that Jesus gave on the mount, he challenged people to give in secret, to not give with a fanfare and, you know, kind of, he just to give generously, just to God and not for the benefit of others. Jesus spoke about money and generosity a lot, an awful lot. He knew that the biggest barrier to building an inner life of surrender and of worship to live in the full and abundant life is actually our wealth and our possessions. That if we rely upon our own reserves, we won't fully put our trust in Jesus. Luke 6, 38 says this, given it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, passages like this can be kind of wrongly used to suggest if, you know, if we give, if we tithe, then we'll get even more back, you know, the prosperity gospel. I don't think this is what it's saying. However, it does reveal something of the uttermost importance. Psalm 24.1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. See, everything we have comes from God. Everything. A Joah's voice is a gift from God. We have become, we have because we have been given it. We have been entrusted with it. And so we have to be wise and generous stewards of what God has given us. You know, it's, it's not ours. We just get to keep a large chunk of it. So, you know, this is how it's meant to work. I drew us a little diagram. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So everything we have comes from God. Everything. Everything we have. Every breath, every day, every pence that we have in our bank accounts, our house, everything is a gift from God. It's been given to us by God. So we steward what we have been given and we give out of inner generosity. God releases then more of heaven's resources to us. Why and how can he do that? Well, because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So everything we have comes from God. So we need to steward and give away what God has given us. And the cycle goes round. And do you know what that builds as we follow that round? Just jump to the next slide. Trust and reliance on God. It builds trust and reliance on God. Giving, generosity, is a discipleship tool. It's not about giving God kind of a subs, our membership fee. It's about discipleship. It's about trust. It's about reliance on God. So 
I want to do something a little different this morning. So I need a couple of people just to help me out with this. Um, well, a few. I thought somebody might have nicked my sweets. Um, what I'd like you to do, so Joe, could you grab that and maybe... Um, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to put your hands out in front of you, but I would like you to make fists. So both hands out in front and make fists. And if you two could try and put some sweets in their hands, that would be really great. See how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very easy, is it, to get it into the palm of your hand? Oh, Joe, you're kind of messing my analogy up. It's meant to fall to the ground. And um, <laughs> so you're being too careful. Anyway, right, right, stop that. You get the idea. You can't put something in somebody's hand if they've closed their fist. Okay, same again. This time, open up your hands and give everybody a sweet. Let's give everyone a sweet. Oh, you see, you can't account for people being too kind, can you? You know, terrible. Okay, so as they do that, I'm going to carry on. You know, it's a simple truth, isn't it? You know, if we live with our hands tightly closed, holding on to what we have, we will miss out on God, what God wants to give us. Please don't eat the sweets, for those of you that are about to eat it, because we need it for later. <laughs> You'll get to eat it later, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't, it doesn't matter. You, you just can't be generous later on, that's all, if you've eaten it already. Um, <laughs> few guilty faces. Um, uh, have you eaten yours, Nicola? Uh, Sarah, have you? Anyway, right, calm down, we need to carry on. Um, but if we live generous lives, if we live open-handed lives, then God can place in our hands more resources to steward. And that might be money, but it might be other things that can bless us and that we can help to bless others with, that we can share. You see, when I invite you to give, when Joe invites you to give, whether that be tithing, whether that just be whatever you feel the Lord has requested you to give, it's not about kind of asking for a membership fee. It's the opportunity to be discipled to grow, to step towards fullness and abundant life. It's not about paying the bills or funding ministries, although I do believe everybody who calls a local church home should contribute towards those things. We are a family with a purpose. No, the invitation to give is just as important as the invitation to pray, to read the Bible, to serve to share your faith with others, to care for those in need, to worship together, to meet together. It is an essential part of being a follower of Jesus, is to give. I would go further, actually, and say that what we do with our money is of vital importance to our whole life. For wherever your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You cannot serve both God and money. That's from the lips of Jesus to all of us. You cannot nurture an inner life if you don't nurture inner generosity. You know, how can we have inner surrender, truly surrender to Jesus? How can we have inner worship? How can we have inner peace and inner joy and inner depth, even an 
authentic inner prayer life if we're self-reliant on our own wealth or worried about our lack. You see, your level of generosity actually reflects what you think about the generosity of Jesus. Your level of generosity actually reflects what you think about the generosity of Jesus. Do you see that? If we don't trust him enough to give even 10% of our income, how can we trust him with our whole lives? If we don't believe that Jesus can provide for us if we give away 10% of our income, how can we truly trust him and surrender fully to his plans for our life? It's a discipleship thing. It's a trust thing. It's a reliance thing. Do you see it? Do you see it? Giving our money is absolutely critical to our faith and trust in Jesus and tells us what we actually think about Jesus. You know, do we trust him? Do we trust Jesus? Or do we actually think he's a liar? Because Jesus says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So what are all those things? Well, food, clothes, basically all the things we need for life. Jesus compels us not to worry about these things. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Do you see that cycle? God gives us what we need. We invest it in the kingdom. He then gives us what we need. We then invest it in the kingdom. He gives us what we need. We invest it in the kingdom. It's this relationship. It's where we learn to trust and rely upon God. It's important. This is so important. And Jesus came face to the face with the dangers of wealth in a kind of story we read in the Gospels. And Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? First thing you notice, Jesus loved him. Jesus wasn't standing there angry because he, he didn't obey him. He loved him. He was inviting him to give because he loved him not because he wanted him to follow a set of rules. Second thing, he was a good Jewish man. He kept most of the commandments. And, um, and then the third thing, though, that was crucial, he just wasn't generous. He just wasn't generous. For all the religiosity of this man, he would rather go away sad than give up his wealth. You know, he wanted eternal life, but not enough to give away his wealth. He just couldn't bring himself to sell everything and follow Jesus. 
Now, it's really important for us to understand this passage does not say that we only receive eternal life if we sell everything and give to the poor. That's not what it's saying. The point is here that Jesus asked him to. Jesus asked him to. And the man walked away from Jesus. You know, when we invite Jesus into our lives, we say, become my Lord and my Savior. And if Jesus is Lord, then we will follow his lead. And for this man, Jesus knew to follow Jesus, to follow the plans that Jesus had set apart for his life, would require him to sell everything and give to the poor. He knew while he had his wealth, he wouldn't truly be able to surrender to Jesus. Jesus knew that, and so he invited him into abundant life. For us, that might be different. You know, Jesus has different plans for all of our lives, and the Lord will be exhilarating if we trust him and follow him. But maybe we go away sad because we just are like that rich young ruler. We just won't let Jesus be Lord of our life and maybe Lord of our finances because we don't fully trust him to provide. You know, I've heard lots of arguments of why we should no longer talk about tithing. Um, it's an Old Testament thing, which is true. It's a, a law thing, which is also true, and variations on the theme. And we are not legally bound to give like the Jewish people were. were. But we're missing the point. See, the point isn't about law, it's about discipleship. It's about surrender. It's about worship. And it's about truly letting Jesus be Lord of our life and trusting him. That he is who he says he is and he does what he says he will do. You know, maybe you don't give to the, the, the ministry of this church, you know, this family that we are. Well then, I would really encourage you to start giving. But maybe not out of what's left, but out of the first fruits. Maybe you do give already, and, and God is challenging you to think, you know, are you giving sacrificially? Are you giving as an act of worship, as an act of surrender? Or are you giving out of what is left over? But you know, for inner, inner generosity, inner, can't get my words out, inner generosity doesn't start and stop with money. You know, that's just a practical outworking of something that God is doing inside of us. See, inner generosity permeates every part of our life. It permeates our actions, the way we treat people. You know, do we have time to stop and help somebody, to talk to somebody? You know, it, it permeates our attitudes, how we use our time, how we use our skills and our gifts and our talents. How we use our energy. It permeates everything. But you know, a good benchmark for our inner generosity is how we use our money and our wealth. We must cultivate inner generosity. So I need to be quick. What are some barriers to cultivating inner generosity in our life? I want to focus on two quickly. Firstly, consumerism. So what's the definition of consumerism? The protection or promotion of the interests of the consumer. The growth of consumerism has led to many organizations improving their service for
for the, for the customer, for the consumer. And this is America, but it's probably true for us too. The prosperity in the 1920s led to new patterns of consumption or purchasing consumer goods like radios, cars, vacuums, beauty products and clothing. The expansion of credit in the 1920s allowed for the sale of more consumer goods and put automobiles within the reach of every American. Some historians would look back and say, actually, consumerism began in the 18th century. That was the start of the consumer revolution. And the key to consumerism is that it's cultural and it puts the individual at the center. See, marketing and advertising is all about the benefits to the individual, to you. If you buy this car, you'll have the greatest of adventures. You'll be driving up the sides of mountains and it'll be wonderful. You know, if you get that kitchen, you'll be the envy of the street and everybody will want to come and be in your kitchen. If you get that food mixer, you know that one, that'll actually make the cakes for you. You won't even have to make, yeah. It's, but that's what it is, isn't it? How can it make your life better? How can you have more and better things? And companies and organizations know that if they feed this culture of consumerism, it kind of makes them money. So they can have more and better things and the whole thing just kind of grows. The sad part about it is it's invaded Jesus' church. It's invaded Jesus' church. That rich young ruler had a consumerist attitude. He had built more and better things in his life, wealth in his life, and he wasn't going to let that go. You see, generosity is the opposite of consumerism. Generosity seeks to build up others, whereas consumerism seeks to build up ourselves and our wealth and our, um, our properties. When consumerism invades the church, it really does corrupt every part of the church. Rather than the church being a family with a purpose, a people who serve Jesus, it becomes an organization that exists to meet the needs of the individuals that come on a Sunday morning. Not out of love and compassion like the early church, but out of a culture that says, I will keep coming if you give me what I want. And if you don't, I will go somewhere else. Whereas generosity says, I will give of my time, my energy and money with no requirements for anything in return. In fact, I will give, I will have less for myself so that others can have more. Jesus gave his life so that we can have eternal life. And we are to imitate Jesus by living a life of generosity you know, you cannot subscribe to both the culture of consumerism and of generosity. They are at odds with each other. We cannot serve God and money. And this is not to say that we can't buy stuff. You know, God gives generously and he allows us to keep the majority of it. And we can enjoy life. We can buy things. It's okay to have stuff but not if it means it stops you being generous. Consumerism is a barrier to generosity because it feeds selfishness and greed. We seek to store up treasures on earth and not in heaven. Guys, we need to guard our hearts and our minds against the lure of consumerism across our life, but especially the way we see Jesus and his church.
Okay, the second barrier to generosity is the fear of lack. Is the fear of lack. The widow gave with radical generosity and sacrifice. The reality being that she gave far more than 10%. It actually says she probably gave everything that she had. Everything. So she probably had nothing left for even food. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty incredible. And no wonder Jesus was absolutely blown away. And again, hear me. I don't think that's a hallmark of kind of like, if we give everything away, then we're super spiritual Christians. That's not what this passage is about also. That would be misinterpreting it. And I'm pretty sure Jesus wouldn't let her lack for anything. However, she could have held tightly to what she had. She could have just gone, I can't give up these two coins. I just cannot. But she didn't. She gave it away. Okay, for those of you that haven't eaten your sweets, what I would like you to do is I'd like to put the sweet in your hand and, um, and close your hand around it. And maybe we won't have enough sweets, but we'll give it a go. Now, if the, you two guys could go and try and put another sweet, maybe less carefully, in people's hands, that would be brilliant. Um, so just see what you can do. Oh, and it'll accidentally fall to the floor, I'm sure. And, um, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. But again, the point is, the point is, you cannot put more in the hand if you've wrapped your hand around what you already have. Yeah? Okay, this is what I want us to do. Now, open your hand and give your sweet to the person next to you. Okay? Okay, so some of you will have two sweets, some of you will have no sweets, some of you will have one sweet, and it's all been moved around. Okay, now guys, can you go and give everybody another sweets? So keep your hands open, like this. Okay, and the guys can come around and put some more sweets in your hands. Poor old Stephen's not none. Okay, again, my point is this. The widow understood the heart of God. She understood that actually all she had came from God and that she could trust him for her needs. And so she opened her hand up and she gave it away. And I'm absolutely convinced, although the Bible doesn't say it, but the character of Jesus does, that Jesus would have made sure she had something put in her hand. Church, we have to be open-handed with what we have. If we close our hand around what we have and, and hold it for ourselves, we, don't, we not only stop others receiving, we stop God giving to us. We have to be open-handed. Sometimes it means we have no sweets in our hands. Sometimes it means we have two. But we'll always have enough. We will always have enough. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need them. He knows what we need. He wouldn't be inviting us to be generous, to give away, 
to suggest 10% or whatever it is. Uh, and that, and you know, the New Testament seems to suggest that's the starting point, not the ending point. That we are to be radically generous, that like this widow. But he wouldn't be saying that if he wasn't planning to put what we needed into our hands. And this is why it's about trust and reliance. It's about discipleship. It's not about law. It's not about ticking a box. It's about letting Jesus really be Lord of our life. You know, do we see Jesus as this loving, generous Savior who owns everything, the earth and everything in it, who can be utterly trusted, that we can rely upon no matter what? Is that the way we see Jesus? Whose resources are infinite? Or do we see him as someone who cannot be trusted? So we better hold on to what we have. It's all about how we see Jesus. Shall we pray? Holy Spirit, just come. Just come and fill this room. I just thank you so much for the passage that um, Joe read during worship that just reminds us of who Jesus is. That he was the lamb that was slaughtered for all of us. That he is the one that can open the scroll. He is the one that can make a way for us all to have eternal life. He is the one that gave everything so that we could have it, have life and life to the full. This is who Jesus is. And, and Lord, I pray that when we talk about money, which is often such a taboo issue, and generosity, Lord, that we might see it in light of who is asking us to give. He is utterly trustworthy, and he is Lord of all things. He is the King of kings. So Holy Spirit, would you just help those truths to seep into our hearts? And Lord, where maybe the lure of consumerism has caught us just a little bit too much, would you break it off us? Would you break it off us that we wouldn't pursue more and better above generosity? And where the fear of lack, maybe times are hard, cost living and all of that is just putting a stress and a pressure on our finances and we're just like, oh, I just don't know whether I've got enough to be generous. Lord, I pray, would you give us the courage and faith to trust that you are who you say you are. And that you will do what you say you'll do. That we might be a radically generous people. Because, Lord, we know, Holy Spirit, we know that when we, when we do that, there is freedom. And the worries of the world are lifted off us. Because we can trust in the one who provides it all. So, Holy Spirit, come. Help us to release worry or release the lure of consumerism and take hold of generosity. So I just want to give you space. Only you know your hearts. Only you know your attitude to money and wealth and possessions. And I suppose I just want to give you space to just chat to the Lord about it.
and give him permission to maybe just shine a spotlight on where it's not quite in line with his ways. So come Holy Spirit and bring your light into those places that we need a little bit of, a, of correction to fall in line with your values. So come Holy Spirit. This series has been a really interesting series to teach on because it, it, it is about you and your inner life. It, it's not about leading a ministry time from the front, actually, and kind of inviting you to come forward. It's about you doing um, business with the Lord in your own time, in your own way, in your inner life. And um, so I just want to throw out a couple of things just to finish as, um, if you like, ways you could respond that maybe aren't instantly this morning, but maybe in the week ahead. Now have a think around your time, your energy and money and how generous you are with it. Now all of our circumstances are different and you know, for our time and energy money, we might only have two copper coins or we might have an abundance. But what is the Lord asking us to do with it? How are you investing it? How are you being generous with it? So I'd really encourage you to go away and just spend some time with the Lord and think about that. Maybe you look at your diary, look at your bank account, uh, you know, look at the way you live your life and make some decisions. And that might be deciding to give, it might be deciding to serve, it might be who knows what the Lord will speak to you. But if we are going to grow up as Christians and disciples... We can't just hear a talk like this and go away. We have to reflect on it and we have to bring the change that the Lord wants to bring to our lives. So that's where I'm going to finish. I'm just going to finish there and I'm going to, I'm not going to drop the mic, but you know, that kind of, you know, leave it with you. So spend some time with the Lord this week. Amen.